Welcome to Toddcasts by the Oslo Desk. The Oslo Desk Todd brings diverse perspectives to the table and creates practical content to help people of all backgrounds in Norway to live out their greatest potential. For our first season, we are interviewing female leaders with international backgrounds to highlight their achievements and their journey as immigrants and entrepreneurs. So far, women of color, whilst among us, remain invisible. So hear their name and know them. Hear their story. Our guest today is Preeti. Uh, she's the founder of Positivo and is funded by Innovation Norway. And uh, she's a physiotherapist uh, for 13 years. And you have worldwide experiences. You've gone to Australia, uh, Netherlands, and also been here as well in Norway. She's also born in Norway. And now she's uh, in our studio. And I'm welcome for coming in. Oh, thank you for having me. It's so exciting to come and have a chat. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know... We were talking before we had the recording and this extraordinary journey and you have a family history as well and maybe talk us a little bit through about your your family history and how it impacted you in some way. Absolutely. So I have an Indian heritage. Uh, I'm born and bred in Norway. Our story, family story, starts with my grandfather, uh, who my firefighter. Uh, he was the general secretary in the Indian embassy. So he was stationed here in Oslo in 1974 and after four years when they were going to move on uh, my father and my uncle decided to stay behind because there was so much job opportunities here mm. so that is how our family came to Norway yeah and how does that affect you how does this family history affect you in some ways are you you're proud does it is it something that you you feel that it's influenced to you even having a startup now well it's it's interesting to see because um you hear about a lot of the working migrants when they come to Norway and you have the history of people when Norway discovered oil in the 70s and I feel that our story is a little bit different as well um, coming from an Indian background as well my grandmother um, my Murmur, she was born in Kenya and we know that um, if you look at the history of Indians um, you have Indians in also in Singapore in, in uh, Suriname uh, South Africa UK so we see that the diversity among Indians is also very wide and uh, being born and bred in Norway um, I feel that um, this is my country and this is the roots that I have and I'm very proud to represent and call myself a Norwegian Hmm. and I remember you telling me that you hate people asking you where you come from I'm just thinking like you know how how do you feel about that actually you know when what it what was what's going through your mind when someone asks you this question where are you from <laughs> so so hate is a very strong word so i would okay. say that i strongly dislike it <laughs> Okay, I rephrase. Um, <laughs> but I also think a lot of people, when they come and ask me about, ask me that, it's uh, because they see my color of my skin first, or my dark hair and my features. And it's not necessarily if you introduce me today and saying this is Lisa or something, then uh, I would speak fluent Norwegian. So I, f- I feel like it's putting you, affiliating you with something that you might 
not identify yourself as rather than saying that you know I have Indian heritage I'm very proud of the Indian heritage but I'm also primarily a Norwegian mm. and I think that when we look at diversity here in Norway and we want to move on as a country I think looking at the ethnicity of people it's it's really hard to put labels of color of your skin or your uh, racial features mm. now conversation I had about a month and a half ago there was a guy who was born in Norway but had lived his whole life in Pakistan he had a Pakistani accent and but he was saying I'm also Norwegian and he kept on insisting that you know he was asking me where you come from and I was saying Oslo and he was said no but like where are your genes mm. you know and uh, we had that conversation I would say well if you look at my genes then I would say Persia because my family the the race that we are supposed to belong to is called Arya which is the Persians that moved from uh, the Silk Road to India mm. and then I had at hence I had an afterthought that if I was going to follow his logic then I would say that he's actually Indian because mm. Pakistani Pakistan is like what 70 years so if we start looking at people's genes and we start looking at their ethical like uh, their DNA then <laughs> we can't look at the world in that way anymore I think yeah and I, and I mean I get asked this because of my accent you know it's obviously British uh, obviously but my skin color is yellow um, and they go like but ethnically or origin and it's like do we have to go so far back I, I think like is it just the way we try to understand people because they're from this ethnic group they have a certain cultural understanding is that what people are looking for when they're saying where are you from so I don't know I don't know I think in many cases it is a curiosity and I actually do the same thing so I do feel that even though I dislike the question mm. it is something that I normally ask um, I love something that I learned in Australia where you ask people where what's your heritage because mm. that's I find that as a little bit different from asking where are you from mm. And also, I, I, it's, I also think that, you know, when you're asking somebody, there was a TED talk that I really loved, which was about, don't ask me where I'm from, ask me where I'm a local. Yes, yeah, I actually seen that. And I think like with you, it's probably very true, you know, even though you've, you, you're born here in Norway, but you, you have traveled out and, you know, studied and been working outside of Norway, and you, you kind of pick up on different cultures. And are you probably taking some of the good stuff coming out from these cultures and then bringing it back home here absolutely and you know i even lived in finnmark for three years Mm. so i am one of the few people from the the southeast that have lived above the arctic circle and have experienced the diversity in norway uh, uh, and seen the cultural influence uh, of the heritage that we have in this country and i own that Mm. Uh, so the experiences and what I learned living those three years there is something that I'm still using today. Mm. And I did get quite surprised when I got to Finnmark because, you know, when you go to, for example, you go to Canada, you see the road signs are in, in French and in English. Or if you go to South Africa, it's in Afrikaans and English. In Finnmark, you actually have three languages. The public signs there are three languages. We have the Sapmi people, but we also have Kriyamit, which are old Finnish people like that are equal to the Afrikaners in South Africa and we have like there's so much diversity in this country that uh, I'm really surprised
realize that we don't actually talk about it uh, mm. and that we don't know so much about it. Mm. What are your feelings are when someone labels you as an immigrant? Do you feel like an immigrant? Do you do you resonate with it? I feel I I do I do go in a opposition because I do feel that when people labeling me as an immigrant, I have not migrated anywhere. Mm. So it's it's uh, when people are doing that, it's their prejudice and not mine. And uh, I yeah I just um, when I was younger, I used to work for something called Mira Center, which is a um, center for migrant and immigrant and migrant women, a mm. resource center. And I was there for about 10 years. And I used to have uh, lectures. I used to travel around being this wonder kid that would talk about diversity and growing up as a migrant child, etc. And then I started realizing that when whenever I was presenting myself, I would say, my name is Preeti Agarwal. I'm, a, uh, I'm representing Mira Center, which is a resource center for immigrants and migrant women. And I asked, but I'm not. So I stopped after 10 years and then I decided to join the Red Cross because to wear the uniform and being a part of the health, uh, the health safety rescue team. Mm. Because I felt that that was more aligned with who I am. And it wasn't about my ethnicity or anything. It was like just the, what I'm representing. And I'm not representing that. I'm not them. No. What got you into health? Oh, wow. Good question. <laughs> Actually, it was more about taking the challenge. Because uh, when I was, uh, as I mentioned, I was brought up with the anti-racistic center, Mira Center, and, and have been a public debattante. If, uh, is that the right word? The debater? Debater. So I used to be on TV yeah. and etc. Yeah. as the person that will always come with the card questions to the yeah. politicians and uh, and uh, so the path for me that was laid was actually to do psychology and uh, social science and then speak become like a politician like uh, Hadia Tajik mm. I basically I had an accident uh, at that time and I always had an energy where I wanted to do something sporty like I always want to be in the army or in the police or something in that or uh, uh, not necessarily directly health, but I always thought that physios were like these giant German ladies named Olga, you know, like, mm. <laughs> and I'm small, I'm petite. So I just, it just doesn't fit me. And then I had this accident and then I was like, okay, I'm going to give a shit about everything else and I'm going to do what I want to do. And then also I like the challenge because health is really hard and I love getting the challenge so I wouldn't be bored with the profession and be bored with the studies mm. so that's actually why I chose it would you be able to talk a little bit about the accident and how that have affected you and you know what happened uh, what was going through your mind coming out of the accident or recovering from the accident absolutely uh, so kids out there please why use helmets when you're biking <laughs> I when I was 19 year old I had a cycle accident which wasn't a major one but I slipped on the road on the zebra path and uh, basically Basically, I hit my face on the road, uh, fracturing and also injuring my knee. So that was a, a life-turning situation for me. Um, uh, something happened, basically. So my energy level dropped. Uh, I had an instant fatigue level. And uh, from going from a kid that would have normal flus and etc., I, I was always complaining about being fatigued. Mm. And then uh, also there was just like social issues because one 
once you have a, a, an event in life that impacts you and uh, changes you, I think these things can rattle you in a way and change the pathways that are sort of laid out. So all of a sudden you get delayed with studies or uh, also with work. So, uh, and um, I did uh, start my physiotherapy degree after that, but I spent longer time getting through the studies. And one of the consequences of this kind of head injury is anxiety. Mm. So I did have quite a lot of stress with exams and uh, failures with exams. So I need to repeat it. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, when you fail, then you get into a visual circle as well. So, but the good news for myself, at least, was was that with the degree of the master's degree where I started getting in contact with a lot of the best professors and PhDs in the world which works with head injuries and whiplash I started understanding that a lot of the things the issues that I was having in health was actually as a result of the head injury Mm. I do want to clarify though that this head injury it wasn't I was not unconscious it was not uh, you know like huge accident it was a bump on the head where I hit the head on the road I did not wear a helmet at that time because I wasn't that cool but we see that research now is actually showing that you can have mild traumatic head injuries and it can have consequences which might not be that easily picked up by the healthcare system Mm. Uh, so the research is now getting more it's surfacing and uh, and I think that's good it's helped me with my professional how to manage it but I hope that also that with this uh, research surfacing that more people that might be exposed to this kind of situation might be picked up at the earlier stage mm. and your and your startup is on this type of issue uh, <laughs> but perhaps you would like to explain what your startup is yeah. I, I only know briefly what it is so yes so uh positive all is a startup which we are targeting people with musculoskeletal conditions uh, and to increase the health literacy among users the man on the street we are integrating technology, physiotherapy, and science. So we are an R&D-based startup, and our core value is actually to increase you as a patient, as a person, about teach you about your condition so you can learn how to manage your own problems, uh, but also found it in, in the evidence. Hmm. Currently, what we're doing is um, we're integrating questionnaires that are standardized. It's our way of taking a blood test to see where you're at, and it's a universal language. So basically wherever you're going uh, the standards are there so um, a good example would be for when you take the reflex hammer on the patella it doesn't on the knee Mm. it doesn't matter if you're in China or Norway if it's a doctor or a physio that is doing it it gives you the same information Mm. so it's a standard and within physiotherapy the standards are there the guy like Mm. but it's not being utilized Mm. so this is one of the things that we want to do we want to actually force the standard disrupt Hmm. and force the standards out there Hmm. so and your question was sorry Um, it was ju- just trying to explain uh, what your, your startup is about. So um, I did my master's thesis on looking at the patient education and I worked in rehabilitation uh, where p- 
people with, with here in Norway we call it arbeidsrettet rehabilitering, which is like rehabilitation for people that been on long-term sick leave and been out of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, in that process, it's normal that they have classes uh, where they sit and they get like PowerPoint presentations. So uh, in my master's thesis, I saw that, uh, and there are guidelines from Lancet as well, showing that uh, patient education should be a primary treatment in the first line uh, uh, in the primary care or the mm. first line treatment so what we're trying to do is actually bring those educational classes rather than having four or five years down the road bring it in at an earlier stage so that uh, people can actually get those tools earlier we're trying to also use the technology which is a tool today to also modernize physiotherapy care mm. and and this tool is is for the public right uh, as i'm understand it like you're saying like people can actually do these run these sort of tests at home and then to be able to understand a little bit more what the condition is is exactly so what we're trying to achieve and we're still working on the prototype uh, version two Mm. so what we're trying to achieve is that you as a user trying to have a decentralized healthcare system so you can log on to the web application on the website Mm. and then you can do this standardized questionnaires Mm. which will be a screening for us as well and then based on that you will get recommendations about what you can do Mm. uh, but also digital rehabilitation tools like apps and softwares that are coming out of the universities and the institutions Mm. Uh, so for example Harklan Hospital has Mm. nine tracks with SoundCloud uh, Mm. of mindfulness Mm. which is in their neck and back polyclinic, mm. uh, which p- is there and it's free, but people don't know about it. Mm. So, uh, and then there might be something that they, some apps like virtual reality for neck that might have, the people need to have to pay for. Mm. But we're trying sort of to make like a one-stop shop mm. uh, to so that the, the threshold for physiotherapy is not so high. Mm. Because I remember you saying also that it's because a certain percentage of people who are on sick, leave um have these muscular issues and so far no one really knows how to deal with it so we see that we see that musculoskeletal conditions is the largest reason for disability in europe and it's the second largest on the world scale uh, so there is actually a calling from the world health organization to do something about it uh, it's starting to get more attention but it's also very challenging because uh, you challenge people's beliefs as well and there is a shift within uh, knowledge about what is pain for example Mm. Um, it's very hard to convince somebody saying that pain I have pain in the elbow and to explain to them that this is actually a process pain is and this is not acknowledged by healthcare professionals pain is the output of the brain Mm. so it's really hard to convince somebody saying no but then you're not listening to me I'm having pain in my elbow Mm. so how do you uh, so it's so it's challenging to explain that the pain that you're feeling in the elbow is actually coming from the brain so you need time to sit down with the people and explain that so they can understand and once they understand that it's also easier for them to manage in their day-to-day life Mm. would you say like this is something that no matter where the patient is coming from they have the same equal issue of of understanding for example this elbow pain or is it a certain ethnic group perhaps or is it so because one of the things like is certainly a conversation 
conversation that I end up having about health literacy is that it has does it have to be tailored towards a certain ethnic group for them to understand this condition? So I'm just wondering from from your experience of working on this is that do you tailor yourself in explaining these health issues? Um, there are research studies showing that there is a difference between the ethnic groups. Um, for example, uh, back pain in a lot of um, developing countries, for example, in India and Pakistan, if you have back pain, you say, I'm going to go and get bed rest. Mm. And the doctor prescribes you bed rest. Uh, here in Norway, they used to also give you sick leave and tell you that, you know, go home, have a rest for three days. But now what we're seeing is that those three days, you're actually getting approximately 30% of your muscle mass gets uh, decreased because of inactivity. Mm. So um, now the recommendation is more to do more targeted specific exercises uh, and uh, rehabilitation. Mm. So the approach itself has changed as well also here in Norway. Uh, when it comes to the demographic, we see that there is there is lower health literacy in people with lower education as well. Mm. So uh, for us, it would be very easy to ch- target people with higher education because then the, the challenge wouldn't be that hard, right? Mm. But we do see that people that have upper secondary of either Goma uh, and that group, that they mm. have higher health literacy. Mm. And this is also the group, the dem- demographic group that uh, have higher level of uh, sick leave and also this uh, trikt, mm. so the disability. disability yeah. yeah. How, how do you deal with that? With this, it, it seems like there's so many things you need to think about. Is that is that where diversity and your team comes in uh, to, to help you deal with that? Well, I, I think, first of all, my team is fantastic. We have like uh, a few volunteers in the team as well. And we never actually thought when I when I asked people to join the team, I never asked like uh, thought of them as being diverse. I would see them as individuals and what they could bring to the table. Mm. Uh, so by chance, we ended up having six people with six different ethnicity, ethnical backgrounds and one boy and five girls. <laughs> I wonder uh, how he feels. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's more, uh, our team is also diverse in the sense that nobody has the same background. And that is really important when we are working in a startup. Uh, I have not chosen to have any other physio. Well, I do have a physio now, but uh, from, from India. But I had chosen not to have sit and have a team with six other physios because I believe that our brains are wired Mm. in the same way Mm. and if we want to be creative it's really important to have multidisciplinary approach and so that uh, people come with their inputs and we do have sometimes fights or Mm. we do have disagreements Mm. Uh, but I think that's a part of the creative process as well. Mm. And I, I know you had an incredibly tough journey, you know, with your studies uh, and going up to the point that you are here is, is incredible. And in Australia, you, you actually had to fight your way to get your, you know, your credentials in, in some ways um, because of a discrimination issue that popped up during your studies. You want to perhaps talk about that? So um, I think life is hard. Nobody tells you the life is hard and then you hit the <laughs> you hit speed bumps and then you sort of blame it yourself and then 
and I started realizing that, you know, this is life. And then if you are vulnerable and you share, then you hear other people also becoming vulnerable and sharing. And together, it actually makes you stronger. Mm. Uh, so, and um, I do have to say before I share my story as well, that uh, what I'm doing today is like you say, if you have a lot of lemons, you make lemonade, right? Mm. Well, and then somebody said, well, you actually make tequila. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it was really good. So, um so yeah, um, consequently of this, uh, of the accident that I had, it's it's given me like a list of issues, like with, as I said, with anxiety, um, also having reduced working memory, fatigue issues. Uh, so there's like been a, like a whole list of things that have been as a result of, of that accident. And I uh, was enrolled in studies, master studies uh, in Australia. And it is amazing amazing in a way but it was also really really hard like the learning curve for me was like vertical it was it's super super hard because the levels there were really hard as well and the demand there was high as well but uh so I did fail a lot of exams and I didn't understand why why was things not working out so uh, I got a screening and that's where I was saying that I started learning things from my degree as well. I started picking up like maybe I should get this screen. And then we found out that uh, I do have reduced working memory, especially under stress levels, which mm. everyone has. But in my case, it's like it goes below the borderline. So mm. I need some extra time during exams as well. Mm. And I think it's really important. I think that, you know, if you just give somebody, isn't that amazing that if you have somebody that needs extra time and you give that person, let's say 15 minutes, which is the standard for mm. half an hour, then that pay, that small initiative takes person from failing to actually passing with high marks. Mm. So so that's where I started realizing that if you accommodate for, for, for people around you as well, and you listen to the needs that they have, if you, if you accommodate, those things then that will bring you forward so in my case I had issues where um, the student services had said that they're going to that I need accommodation and it is legally obliged mm. uh, by law uh, by the disability discrimination act and yeah and had somebody very high up in the system that uh, had wasn't very happy about it and said that I should never be a physio uh, I should never had my degree and that that it was actually the university that allowed me to get my bachelor's degree that it was their fault that I was in the situation that I was in Australia but I tried and I tried and it's quite expensive to live and study in Australia so I started selling a lot of things to sort of make my tuition fee to be able to pay for my bills and my tuition fee and uh, I still look at it as a good time in my life though um, mm. even though it's really hard and uh, when I came back to Norway um, I had completed five out of six courses and I just felt like there's something not right there's something off mm. and so I decided to forward a complaint to the Australian Human Rights Commission so when I was standing at the mailbox uh, and was going to send uh, this complaint I I was in a dilemma because I was like I'm spitting in the face of my teachers who I respect and everything that I'm doing today mm. with the startup and the knowledge that I'm applying mm. is because of what I learned at the university mm. but there is a difference between the system and the knowledge that they're 
sharing with you. So I just decided that when I'm, I'm going to send this complaint in and then I'm going to leave it to the people who are professionals mm. to read through the complaint and decide if there is a valid complaint or not and if they want to proceed with the complaint or not. Because that is how it is, right? Like you file a complaint and you have somebody like judging, should we, is this in or is it out? And then the commission decided that it was in. And then we had a case, uh, well, basically it was uh, the university engaged two lawyers while I was in Norway and didn't have any help. And it ended up with uh, the commission concluding that there had been a discrimination, uh, there had been bre- breach of seven sections in the Disability Discrimination Act. Now, I'm happy that I sent this complaint because it sort of gave me uprising um, in Norwegian, meaning that it, I stood up for myself. But also, this is not the last time a Norwegian student is traveling to Australia to study, or this is not the last time a Norwegian student is traveling to another country financed by the student loan. Mm. <laughs> And there should be policies in place to take care of these students when cases like this happens. Mm. And uh, so making people accountable, even if you lose a case, like this case didn't, it was supposed to go to court and it didn't. But at least you you sort of make uh, make the road, like they make the path mm. in a way. Because it, it, I, I remember you telling me that it was so tough and also it, it, it sort of impacts you mentally as well. You get tired from having to go through this process. When it came to came to this Australia case, uh, I think that it was important to to forward a complaint like this. I, I think that uh, it was a really really hard time. Like when I came back to Norway after Australia, and imagine like you finish five out of the six courses, and you were just missing one exam out of five. Like in one course, it was like mm. I passed everything, and uh, coming back, and then people have so high expectations of you, you know, because you you might not see somebody from outside, but you don't know what's on the inside side of that person mm. so I came back and I was so embarrassed I was shameful mm. for not passing my my degree and you know everyone was like oh you know have you have you finished yet you know and then somebody would go like well if everyone else can finish why are you not able to finish so comments like this are it's it's hard but I also think that that makes you stronger as well I think uh, it makes you human it makes you vulnerable it helps me as a physio to relate to patients when and they come and they're having a hard time in their lives mm. uh, and both when they have health issues uh, as a physio you actually see a lot and you get a different relationship with the patients that you might do with a GP I think because you spend a longer time with the patients as well mm. so I think it just made me more it just gave me a life lesson <laughs> mm. to be honest that kind of that kind of led you I mean that led you to the startup and you know your your journey to to doing that because you you want to uh, get the help that perhaps you didn't get the help in in, in the sense well uh, am i right in thinking that <laughs> well i have to i have to say that this professor he was right about one thing though okay. he was very right about one thing he would say you're a lateral thinker you're a what i'm a lateral thinker okay and i was like yeah i, I am a lateral thinker i do think outside the box it's mm. just how my brain is wired mm. um and i think that uh, the knowledge that i'm bringing now has been like a summary of my career like working from getting the knowledge from Australia and seeing the standards, seeing the uh, level of the evidence-based practice that they have there and coming back to Norway and working with patients rehabilitation, working in Finnmark, working in uh, South 
Africa and having uh, my network of friends mm. and physio friends around the world as well. Mm. It sort of just made sense and mm. the timing couldn't be better because when I came back uh, and I actually, to complete the master's, I started the, I was lucky enough to be enrolled in the master's studies here in Norway, mm. but I did have to complete like two two years to, I needed to do the studies again. So I ended up, well, it was, it was a strategy for me to go back to school. Uh, it also because I started thinking about entrepreneurship. So I wanted to connect with the technology transfer office and the universities and write a master thesis on this topic. But it was also to complete the master's. And um, it gave me an opportunity to sort of summarize everything and all the holes in my CV and, uh, and you know, the hardship of getting a job as well, even if you are qualified medical personnel. It is, uh, it is challenging, absolutely. And I see people that I keep on hearing all the time about people coming from overseas to Norway and having a foreign name uh, or a non-Norwegian name, non-Western name. And they're highly, highly qualified, but they're having a hard time getting a job. And these guys are amazing. Like they know so much. Hmm. And me being born here, speaking the language fluently, Norwegian is my mother tongue. Hmm. That is my first language. Hmm. But even having a hard time, the hardship of getting jobs here, it's, it's sort of like I can understand for people that come from outside that might not speak the language that mm. well but have are like so much more qualified mm. and they're still not getting a job i don't know what this country is doing to ourselves like mm. i don't i don't understand that the extraordinary thing with you is that you actually was part of a delegation yeah and you met Anna Solberg. i guess for, for, for me it's like what would your recommendation what is your your perspective or maybe it's the hiring process i don't know uh, what are your takes on this having the fact that you you were actually invited to go to india it was a tech delegation um what was it so no. so there was a delegation in january this year there was a delegation uh in the initiation of innovation norway mm. uh and where Norway and India were signing a collaboration contract and uh, there were 140 companies, most of them ventures. So you had Yara, you had Equinor, you had Enten, like you had like this big, big shot mm. companies. And we were lucky enough and blessed enough to be a part of the, just like as a startup. And this was even before we started our OS. Mm. So it was just the... Uh, uh, the timing was right and um, it was so we were a part of I was a part of team Norway and there were about 500 companies from the Indian side as well so this is like a, a two-day summit but that was that was like where I go you know Norway diversity uh, when I meet people from the Indian side and they're so fascinated that they have a Norwegian uh, Indian girl mm. uh, in it, representing Norway mm. and uh, I speak Hindi. I don't speak Hindi fluently, mm. uh, but I can communicate. So it was quite funny because uh, people would know, they would notice me because there weren't that many Indian ladies in this. There was a couple of uh, others, but they were like in the Norwegian delegation. We mm. were we were, we were a few Indian ladies, uh, mm. mostly were men, Norwegian white men. Mm. So everyone would go like, you know, oh, pretty, how are you? You know, like they would know me, who I am uh, by name. And so on the Indian side, you would have all these men with mustache and suits and they would look 
pretty much the same to me, not like offending anyone. But so at the end of the summit, you would have like this dinner where you have like dinner and drinks, etc. And people would take off their name tags and people would keep going like, oh, hi, Preeti, how was your day? Or how is this? You know, and I I kept forgetting like, who how, who are you again? <laughs> who did I talk to? Cause yeah. So, uh, but it was, it was, uh, this is a place where I see where my, my diversity, my knowledge uh, comes to, comes to use, where I'm seeing that Norway, we are such a small country, we're like a village in India, we're smaller than that. And uh, u- utilizing that skills, not only national, ethnically, etc., but like just life experience as well. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, we have to wrap up and um, and I asked this to, to all my guests and, and thank you for opening up to all these events that happened to you um, and so this last question I usually asked is if you could have a superpower uh, what would you like it to be? I would love to be more resilient I do have a lot of resilience and resilience unfortunately comes with bad experiences mm. but uh, and being a startup uh, you do hear a lot of things uh, people can come with judgments uh, you also get a lot of encouraging things but I wish that um, I could not let myself get so distracted or hurt mm. so I wish I was a bit more resilient mm. that's a good one that's a good one well thank you so much for coming again and hopefully maybe we'll have you in again to follow up on how the progress is for a startup thank you for having me and to allow me to share you my story and I would absolutely love to come back again mm. so thank you thank you